Then you went home and you're like, same thing can happen to us as well lest you be too hard on these guys you know as a kid growing up in church uh, you know I, I used to think of the these the Pharisees are the sort of the point of the spear in John's gospel of opposition but they're not the only group the chief priests are going to show up here in a few more chapters uh, the Sanhedrin's kind of in the background as well, uh, and they're going to play a, 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 a role, a heavy role as we get further into the gospel around his crucifixion, uh, right after chapter 11 with the raising Lazarus. Anyway, um, but the, all of these guys, particularly the Pharisees, okay, uh, you know, as a kid growing up, I, I used to hear that, and you kind of you kind of knock on them a little bit. You just can't help it, right? I mean, the, the Lord in the scriptures is, is, I mean, wait till you read the verses coming, right? I mean, he really hammers them here. He hammers them really hard in Matthew 23, right? He hammers them hard in a lot of places. And so you can come away with the mistaken notion that these guys were just sniveling devils, you know, walking around, these evil monsters, you know, just they did, no, no. If you had been alive then, these would have been your, your heroes. These would have been your pastors, your conference speakers. They were, they were the guys who everybody looked up to. The religious leaders. The religious leaders, yeah. And, and they, you know, we don't know a lot about the history of the Pharisees, kind of how they got started. But the best, my belief is, best on, on what we can tell, you remember, you've read enough of your Old Testament, hopefully, to, to see that cycle of sin, right? That the nation went through over and over and over again, right? And they and the Lord delivered them out of Egypt, and, and then they, they start kind of sliding back. Debbie was talking more about complaint, right? We don't think it was a big deal. I thought it was a big, big deal, all right? And they didn't trust the Lord at the edge of the promised land. They didn't trust him, right? When they finally did, the generations later got into the promised land. They didn't, they didn't fully obey and, and get rid of all of the pagan influence in the land. And so they have this cycle of, of, of following foreign gods and disobeying God, right? And they get prosperous and everything's going well and life is, comfort is one of our biggest enemies. It is. Comfort is one of our biggest enemies. Okay. When, you, when you really seriously pray, about something pressing you yeah. or a family member or something like that is when you really honestly even a deceived Christian they do that. That's right. Because when we get when we get relaxed, we get relaxed. Yeah. And it's easy to kind of push God to the background. You know? But it's when you're going through the stress. And so the Lord was stressed would send stress of some kind, right? Some kind of pressure. A lot of times it was his, their enemies and, and, and all of that. Well, you know that cycle. And they, and then we went to the judges and we went to the kings and, and uh, back and forth, back to the gods. And then, and then here comes the pressure and then repentance and blessing and so forth and over and over. Well, finally, it got so bad that the kingdom split, of course, and the 10 northern tribes got put into captivity with the Assyrians. They never recovered from that. The two northern tribes went away into captivity, and that's pretty much what most of your uh, 
prophets are dealing with in the Old Testament. They're kind of in that time frame. <clears throat> They're trying to call the nation back to faithfulness to God, right? And they, they keep coming back. And, uh, and finally, the Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar, right? Uh, time of Daniel and so on. Um, and they, they, they're taken in captivity for 70 years. They're brought back to the land. They build the second temple. Okay. I believe it was around this time that the Pharisees got their start. And, and they seem to be a group. Now, think about this. They read the same history you did. They knew all this, too. They're not stupid. They see it. And so they form this group. You know what? We are going to make a vow to be serious in our relationship with God. We're going to hold ourselves and the nation to worship the one true God. No more of this false gods and no more of the judgment of God, right? That's a worthy cause, isn't it? They were good, good guys from that standpoint. If you read, read their mission statement, I think you'd be really excited about it. The problem is that in those... 400 some odd years or so, the system began to rely on itself and everything else but what the Lord. And so by the time Jesus has that conversation with Nicodemus, he doesn't even understand what it takes to really be born again, to have a new heart. Even though in Ezekiel it had said that, I will give them a new heart. So here are these guys. So don't be too hard on them. Uh, but it just goes to show how blind, well-meaning religious people can be who absolutely are convinced that, that, that they are on God's side or God is on their side, and clearly you are not. Because they're standing in front of the light of the world, and they're telling him effectively he's going to hell. <laughs> because obviously we're not. That must be what it means. Yeah, that's pretty scary. All right. So um, that's verse 22. Verse 23 now is kind of where we were last time, two, two plus, so it feels like longer than that. Two weeks ago, I think. Three weeks ago now. He said to them, because you know, he's going to clarify it. Okay. No, no, guys. You got it backwards. I am from heaven. I am from heaven. I, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Okay, um, that's a that's classic um, antithetical parallelism. Okay, that's a these are smart guys that he's talking to, and he he speaks at their level. He speaks in a way that that they would really accord with. That's classic Jewish um, uh, poetry, if you will. Okay, it's it's he's. He's, not, he's basically saying the same thing twice and comparing and contrasting them with himself. You are from one place. I'm from a very different place. You are of this system. I'm a very different system. Okay? Remember, we took a lot of time. John has uses that word world throughout the whole gospel, right? We, we have a whole set of notes dealing just with that. I, I quote you every verse in, in there that talks about that word cosmos. And, uh, and so it's, it's really not just of this world materially of this earth, but really of this system, this order, okay? And this really becomes clear later on when he's talking to them about how the world 
talking to his disciples later about how the world hated him and it's going to hate them too. The world Jesus is speaking of is not like the Romans, okay? Although that's true. What he's talking about primarily is that religious system that they had built and and that they had that they trusted in. That is the world for them at that point. Okay? Very interesting thing because we often especially in our Christian religious systems, we tend to think of the world as out there. And Jesus says, no, no, your system itself can also be the world. You can be deceived into thinking the world is out there when it's really near. You're putting your trust in. We don't trust in a system. No. We trust in the Savior. <clears throat> so now look at verse 24. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Ah, now we get a little bit of mercy here, which is, many of you like that, a little grace. Here's the grace, right? This is not, when Jesus has, and we've already read chapter 7, and we just read the statement here in verse 21, um, where I'm going, you cannot come, period. End, end of story. That's it. Done, right? That, that, that seems to be the tenor of those, those prior times when he has said that before. But now, now, but now he, he, he adds a little qualifier to it. Oh, wait a minute. There's an exit. There's a, there's a, a, a uh, proviso, if you will, okay? There's, a, there's an opportunity to not have that actually happen. What is that? What is that proviso? What is that escape? He says, unless you believe that I am, literally that I am, okay? Now the he is, is added in, in English to help it read better, that I am he. Um, notice he doesn't say that you believe that I died on the cross for sin. It has been a great opportunity for him to, to say that. He's going to talk about being lifted up in a, in a little bit, which is this death. Okay. And i got to be careful when I say this, but I, I want us to understand that it's very easy for us to be distracted with believing things and believing system and, and 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 following the rules of the system rather than coming to the savior okay that's a it's a very fine line because now listen when you go to church i'm not saying don't go to church i'm not saying don't read your bible but we're understanding understand that your trust is not in your knowledge of the bible the trust is in who the bible speaks of right he's already told them in chapter 5 verses 39 and 40 you've heard me quote this many times because this is so important you search the scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. But these are they which what? You will speak of me and you will come to me that you may have life. It's Jesus that gives life. The letter, even, even the Bible itself won't give you eternal life if you don't come to Okay. Once you come to him, the Holy Spirit gets in your life and opens up a whole new world. That's exactly right. You've got to be changed on the inside. Hard. It's, not, it's not head knowledge. It's not enough. It's not enough. <clears throat> I told you you would die in your sins unless you believe 
I am he. I am who I say that I am. And, and, and not just me, right? The witnesses that we talked about earlier, the father, the works, John the Baptist, Isaiah, Abraham, Moses, all these witnesses that are being put out in front of them in this gospel, you've got to believe what they're saying. They're all pointing to Jesus and saying, listen to him. The father said that, right? Listen to him. I am well pleased. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Uh, let's, uh, on, in your notes there is a, I know it's not a parallel passage in the sense of, you know, it's happening at the same time in space and time, but it's parallel in the sense of the seriousness and the gravity of this warning to these guys, okay? And that's Luke 13. So if you want to flip back there, again, it's on your notes there, so you don't have to, what did he say? Okay, it's right there. Uh, Luke 13, 23 to 30. Now here's, here's a verse you don't hear a lot in church. There aren't many who are saved. Bruce Walker, who's a pastor down in Greenville, that comes up a lot. We, we've had a long relationship with him in his church, and uh, he comes up occasionally to speak. Years ago, he said something. I just, I kind of knew it anyway. Just the way he said it really hit me between the eyes. He said, salvation is rare. And he's right. You know, we, we have a, I think because of COVID now, we've seen a lot of, uh, it'd be interesting to see where the big mega churches go. Not, not knocking them. I'm not saying they're all wrong. They're not. It's just, um, you know, there's a, you to look at some of the ministries uh, and television ministries and, and so on, all the cruise lines, you know, <clears throat> things that cater to, to Christians. You'd think that, that there's a lot of saved people around. But here's somebody who says something very interesting in verse 23. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Well, where'd they get that idea? Well, it's because that's what he's been saying. Okay. And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. That's agonize. Okay. Work hard. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock on the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God that you yourselves cast out. And people will come from the east and west and from the north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God, and behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. 
Now he's saying this to the guys who are absolutely certain that they're on their way to heaven, right? In fact, they're so certain of that, that that when he says, where I'm going, you cannot come, they have to come to the conclusion, well, that must be that he's going to kill himself and thereby commit the unpardonable sin in their theology and uh, and go to hell because we're not going there. So and we can't go there. <laughs> There's kind of a parallel to this in Matthew 7. You've heard me talk about it a lot, right? probably read that near the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says a very, very similar thing. Where he says, in, in that case, his disciples, you know, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons, perform many miracles? Those were the marks of a disciple at that time. Yeah, if he were saying it now, we would say, Lord, didn't I go to Sunday school? <laughs> didn't I go to church? Didn't I carry a Bible? Didn't I, didn't I have a fish on my car? You know? Because <laughs> I'm as I'm yelling at people in traffic, you know, flip them off. I heard John, John MacArthur say that. <laughs> I wonder if that actually happened to him. <laughs> There's a serious warning here. <clears throat> serious, very, very serious warning. It's not enough to be identified with the people of God. It's not enough to have the scriptures even. You know, I mean, we're presumably we're all religious here, right? Paul said, the Apostle Paul. I examine myself, right? This person examined himself. I'm sure you're in the faith. I beat my body so that after I have preached to others, I myself may not be disqualified for the cross. And I don't think he's talking about loss of salvation there. But the point is. That, that this walk that we have, we have, to, we have a limited time offer here to be sure that you avail yourself of the, the peace that God offers through the sacrifice of his son, right? And you come not just even to the facts about Jesus. Yes, I believe he died for my sins, and I say a magic prayer. It's that I come to him, and I put my faith in him. Does that make sense? What he has done has accomplished that, but my faith is not in what he has done, but is in him. See, that is all the difference. I, I don't want myself or any of us to be those who are standing at the door knocking and hear the Lord say, I don't know who you are. I don't know where you came from. I don't know who you are. Depart from me. Wow. So that means that you can walk the walk and talk the talk. And from the outside, and there's the personal relationship with him. That's the bottom line. Because there's going to be, you know, the scripture talks about there's going to be unity in it. But there again, it says, apart from me, those are the words that no one wants to hear. No. But there's a lot of people that are deceived and, and blinded by some churches that don't teach the true gospel. I think a good, good litmus test is the people you're around. You know, you can fool them for a while. I'm saying if you're around a, a good body of believers, something can slip up. You know, you're gonna be able to tell who's, you know, if there's a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Be kind of blunt, but and you need to, you know, what comes out of your mouth, what happens in your life, if it don't, if it's not God honoring. Jesus honoring, then you need to 
back up and look. Go back in the book of John and say, hey, I need to figure out what's going on with you. And, and even more importantly, if you're not willing to repent, you won't be confirmed. That's the maintenance. I've always, I wasn't raised in the church, and um, <clears throat> uh, I've always heard this terminology personal relationship with Jesus, or personal relationship with and your understanding, or everybody's understanding, what would you say that all entails? <clears throat> because when you think of personal relationship, I think of like me and Greg, you know? And uh, I know the church is to be a, the, the bride of the bridegroom, you know, and everything, but, but what do you understand? What does that all entail? I mean, can we read the scriptures and can we put it all in there? I think what it is for me, your personal commitment, your personal relationship is independent. I think it's what you want to make system? Of, Well, no, I'm just saying what I, what I feel is, is I've been married to my wife over 30 years and uh, She's, she's definitely my best friend, and, and I wouldn't know what to do without her. But what I'm saying is, is you have to cultivate that relationship with him. And you have a personal relationship with him. What I consider a personal relationship is you strive to want to be in the Word. You strive to want to be with fellow believers. You, 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 when you see something in your own personal life that you have torment and commitment to repent of that. Um, everybody's personal relationship is different. It depends on, and I may be wrong, Pastor Pete or whoever, if I'm, if I'm wrong, tell me. But it, it's it's on your personal relationship. It's on the level that you are with Christ. If you're a seasoned Christian, you may have a, 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 a real intimate relationship with him. If you're a newer Christian, your relationship is growing, as is when you start dating someone. You're with them. You want to be with them all the time. And same thing with us with Christ. When you first come to him, it's, it should be like that love that you want to be with him. You want to see him. That should never die. Sometimes in a relationship, in a husband and wife relationship, and you can say, no, it don't have money, but it does. Every relationship gets stagnant. And your relationship with Christ can get stagnant. But when it does, that's when you need to dig deeper in the Word. That's what I think is, and I may be totally out of bounds here, that's what I think is, is, a, is a personal, intimate relationship with him. Strive to to be to know more about him. You know, did I say did I go wrong around the bush there? No, no. But you know what words come to my mind while you were speaking was is uh, I I I know that this is happening with me internally. You don't you don't usually you you don't usually hear in church that that Jesus was a man of suffering and acquainted with grief. You know, imagine being sinless, and, and you can see what's happening in our country and the world, and what we're trying to be faithful Christians, and, and the grief you feel, and uh, um, and the apostasy you see, and everything. So the three words that, well, the four words that come to my mind while you were speaking was, is I identify with his suffering. Did your suffering from your own sin? There's a, the world. there's a, the script, that's, I'm, I'm like a walking battleground because 
there was a continual desire to enjoy life. The world is attractive. There are things in the world that are attractive, and yet the scriptures tell us to seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, and not on earth. One of my favorite verses is Psalm 37, 4, where it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That verse does not say that if you delight in the Lord, he's going to give you that Lamborghini or that new house or whatever. What it's telling you is to delight yourself in the Lord, and he will change your desires so that you are fulfilled if your life is, is, is focused on him. And that's the, I think it's the key, is to really... To really focus on him instead of, there's so many distractions for me that pull my heart away from the Lord and I am trying to I really try to, to I don't even look at my YouTube hardly anymore but just because every time I open it up it distracts my attention it pulls me into all kinds of garbage and stuff like that and the same was true with television there's movies that I don't even watch now just because of that and I want to focus on the Lord and as I do that it will help Feel, fuel that relationship with him. And you do have to work on it. The, the, the Bible does say to, to set your affections on things above, to, to put forth that effort. But the, we do it because we want to please the Lord. That, that's, the, that's the one thing that I don't do that I'd like to do. I'd really like to be pleasing him. I'd really like to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. To hear those words from the lips of the Savior to me is, an, is unbelievable. And yet to request that, say to the Lord, I'd like to have that, um, is to put him, if he does that, he's going to be working in my life and producing this growth and this commitment, this direction in my life, which is not there by itself. It's a, it's a, he's the one that grants repentance and enables me to do that. They, they were talking about Bruce Walker. He's the one that made the statement that I thought was, I really identified with him. He said, repentance is the maintenance of the Christian life. Repentance is turning from sin, turning to the Lord, and then doing it all the time. And I'm doing it not to fool you or to fool the people at work or those, but to please the Savior. And uh, because he is, the more you do, the precious, more precious he becomes, and the more um, special he becomes. Um, he's not nearly as special as he ought to be in my life. And, and I'm sure that all of us can say that that's case but there is that there's that tension there's that struggle and we just those verses you read if they're true we need to seriously examine ourselves every day to be sure that we're walking close to the Lord we're not one of those deceived and they are true so they just it's a way to talk set your effects on things above and all the earth the world um the world is attractive love not the world neither things that in the world if any man loves the world the love of the father that is the love that the father gives us to love him back is not in us. We don't have that if we're loving the world and pursuing the world. And the more I love the world, the more I love the things around, the more I like the movies, and I'm a big James Bond fan and other things like that, the more I pursue those things, the less my love for the Father is. So they just, it, it's just really important. They're not legalistic, that's what the Pharisees were. The Pharisees were legalistic. And they were just like this, did you obey this? I, I've been in a fundamental church, and, and uh, a fundamental Baptist church. One Sunday afternoon, we were the choir was practicing. We were back there practicing, and all of a sudden, I saw this was years and years ago. A black man come up to the door uh, to the church. You could see down the aisle, sanctuary, and see the door. And instantly, four or five guys got up, went down there real quick, and 
told him to leave. They didn't want him to come into the church and stuff like that. And and I got to think about that. These guys are believers, and that's the way they treat people just because of the color of the skin. Something's wrong with their heart. And uh, we can do that. So walk with the Lord, and we should read our Bible. We should take it seriously, but it should point us to Christ. Jesus says here in a few verses later, <clears throat> and we continue reading this chapter because right, he deals with this issue. Verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I think that's, you know, I know your question's really potent. And it's a good question. Important, um, because how do you know if you're a faker or not? And I think this is one of the big litmus tests. Are you free? Jesus was talking to people who had been living in a religious system that outwardly honored God, the true God, not Baal, not, you know, the gods of Egypt, the true God. As I said to you earlier, you know, the Pharisees were those who, whose mission statement you couldn't disagree with, right, in terms of let's hold ourselves and the nation they, they never, after the Babylonian captivity, the nation never never came back to that cycle, at least outwardly, right? Of 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 worship, wandering away from worship of one true God and, and going after these idols. Outwardly, that looks really good, but they were slaves to this system. And Jesus says, "Come to me, abide in my word." My words. He's going to he unpacks what it means to abide in Him in John 15. His disciples, stay, abide, abide with me. Get get into the word, not because you have to, but because you want to. And the more that you see the glory of the Father in the face of Jesus Christ, it will free you. I don't live the way I do because I have to. I live this way because I want to. I want to please him. I am impressed with Jesus more and more, and I'm pressed with the one who sent him, the Father. And I know I have a, a relationship with him, and I don't have to run around and, and check the box or hope, you know, hope nobody saw me do that, you know, whatever. Uh, I mean, there's some testimony, you know what I'm saying. I mean, there's yeah, some level of embarrassment. But God, but God, God accepts me knowing for he walked in with his eyes open. He 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 spared no expense to save. Uh, uh, a sinner, somebody whose heart is just as hard as as the rocks out there in the driveway, uh, and 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 has no ability to respond to him, and he decided to do that. And and uh, in John 10, he says, "My sheep hear my voice," and he talks to the to the to those who don't believe, and he says, "You don't you don't hear me because you're not my sheep." Plain and simple. So if you hear his voice, and you've been set free from the obligations of feeling like you have to do this stuff, check the little Christian boxes, you know. I got my little Christian boxes over here, and then I have my other life, which I'm telling you about. You know, if you're living this duplicity, chances are very good that you're not free. You're not in the sun. Okay? And he goes on to talk about slavery. A slave does not remain in the house forever. The relationship to the house that a slave has is very different than the sun. The slave owes the house. The son owns the house. And if you are in the sun and the sun sets you free, Changes everything. Changes everything. I hope that helps. Father, 
such an important question. It really, really gets at the heart of the gospel. What, what does it really mean to be saved? We have all these trappings today, too, you know, and, and it's not that it's not that those things were wrong. You you never went to the temple to say, tear this place down because, you know, it's just we need to start over. You did cleanse the temple because it had been turned into a, uh, we might say today, a mall, effectively, distracting people from. But you said instead of that, it should be a house of prayer. It should be a house of worship. It should be a house of a place where people imperfect sinners the gospel is for sinners the gospel is not for people who think they're good enough on their own or me plus jesus you know or, or jesus is going to help me uh um, you know just amp up my life to the next level or something but no the gospel is for people who have tried it on their own have failed and realized that and and and, and struggles even as you said in luke to strive to, to fight and struggle to see to it that we know you, not just know about you, but that we know you and that we abide in your word and that we have, that we hear your voice and that we follow. And that when we, um, as John, the, the same writer of this gospel says in his epistle, if, if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father and we confess that sin and you are faithful to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We thank you for the power of the gospel, that when we are in Christ, we are so free from sin that if you were to bring it up again, you would be wrong. That's an amazing truth, and yet you have done this, and you have reached enemies like us. Help us not to be proud of our accomplishments as if we're earning our favor with you, but, but to be so proud of what you've done, so thankful, and so amazed that you would love people like us. Help us to grow in this every day. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Good to see you.